Praise the Lord. Contenders. Contenders. That's what the Scripture teaches us that we are to be. Contenders. When we read the epistle of Jude, Jude makes it clear. We are contenders. We're to be contenders for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Contenders. And, you know, we hear of so many people saying, oh, well, you know, Christians are supposed to be full of love. Well, sometimes being full of love means standing up for your faith. It doesn't mean laying down. It doesn't mean ignoring the fact that the world's going to hell. We need to be out there sharing our love for God first and for our neighbors second. That's part of contending for the faith. Contenders. I'm going to do a few uh, word definitions and uh, share uh, quite a few scriptures about the faith today. If we contend for the faith, we are contenders. I, I did a message like this one time, and afterwards, uh, the bishop over the organization that I belonged to at that time, he said, you look like, you, like you'd be a fighter. <laughs> I said, well, I used to be. I know what it's like to fight. I grew up on the streets, and it was rough. You had to fight. It was the only way you could survive. But in the faith of Christ, we're not fighting flesh and blood. We don't contend against flesh and blood. We're we're fighting spiritual powers. Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, actually contends for the faith. Sadly, these days, many are not. Even though they claim to be followers of Christ, they aren't truly following Christ following after the dictates of their own heart. They're following after demonic doctrines that are put forth by demonic nations who claim to be a part of the kingdom of Christ, and they're not. I would like to pray just a little more, please. Father, we need You. We need Your wisdom and Your discernment. We need your help with any unbelief that might exist in this room. And I need your help to clearly speak only what you want me to say. I give you my mouth. I trust that you'll give me unction to speak only by your Spirit what each one of us needs to receive. Please erase and eliminate any human doctrines, any doctrines of demons. Help us discern spirits and truth. We want your authentic Holy Spirit power to reign here and in our individual lives. And We ask that you would block any distractions. Overwhelm us with your Holy Spirit-filled Word. Make us people of love for you and for our neighbor. Grant, Father, to yours truly that by your Spirit, with all boldness, I may speak your Word through the name of our Lord and Savior. Yahashua, Messiah, the one we call Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's open to Jude 1.4 if you want to open the Bible there in your seats. <clears throat> and we did get more Bibles, by the way. They came in finally. Jude is in the very back of the Bible, right before Revelation. You'll find it on page 1872 there if you care to open the Bible for yourself. I always encourage reading along one way or the other. We have it up on the screen, I'm sure, by now, because Tony's on that. And we thank God and praise God for Tony's help, too, by the way. Jude, one chapter. It's actually just an epistle. It's an epistle. It was a letter that was written by this man called Jude, who is identified as one of the brothers of the one we call Jesus, our Lord. And beginning at verse 1, we hear this, Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Notice he didn't elevate himself. Hey, I'm the brother of Jesus. No, I'm a bond servant, he said, and brother of James. And now by saying he's the brother of James, everybody knew James was the brother of our Lord. And so here he's saying bond servant and 
brother of James. So he's allowing everybody to understand that he's also the brother of our Lord. To those who are called, sanctified or beloved by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, Yahashua, Messiah. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And that's his introduction. He introduces himself, and then he pronounces a blessing on the readers. And then we get into some meat. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, we're all in this together, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. I think King James has earnestly first, earnestly contend for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we'll stop our reading and trust that the Lord will add His blessing to the reading and hearing of His Word. And allow Him to open your ears to hear. Earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Earnestly. Intensely. Seriously. Serious enthusiasm. Enthusiastically. Stand for the faith. It's not this, oh, well, you know, I'm just one person. No. You are a contender. You're a contender if, in fact, you follow the inscription, excuse me, the scripture that's written here, the instruction in scripture. Contending is to strive, to use earnest efforts to obtain or to defend and preserve. In the context of what Jude's saying, we are to defend and preserve the faith. Because there are those who are coming in and they're changing the true faith into something that it doesn't resemble at all. That's why I made mention of that song that we sang, Jesus Paid It All. Because there are those who say, Jesus paid it all, I don't have anything to do. They take it to another level. They take it to another place. They say that since He did what He did, they don't have to do anything. But the Word is very clear. We have works that we do that come out of our faith. It's not works towards salvation. Our salvation was bought and paid for by Him. But the works that we do are in Him, toward Him, for Him. And He makes that absolutely clear. Contending, striving, defending, preserving, struggling for something or striving against difficulties. And you think about, you saw me with the hands up, think about boxers. Boxers are contending for something. They're contending for a title or they're contending for, for a, uh, a, a, a name. Well, what are we contending for? We're not contending for a title. We're contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. One who contends is a contender. That's why I chose the title of this message. Who are you? You're contenders. If, in fact, you pay attention to the Scripture. And, you know, Jude's words have been disputed for ages. Some people didn't even want this epistle in the canon of Scripture. Because he's telling us we have something to do. And there are those who just don't like those instructions of things to do. That we have things to do. And one of them is to defend the faith. Jude tells us we're contending for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And this is where more controversy comes into play, I think, than many other passages of Scripture. There are others that are hotly debated, but this is one that people hotly debate, well, you can't do this and you can't do that because after all, Jesus paid it all. The very people that Jude warns about have done what he warned about. They crept in, unaware. And they were before of old ordained to condemnation. He says, God knows who they are. They were already ordained to condemnation. 
ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And I got to thinking, most people aren't going to know what that word means. They know it's bad. But what is lasciviousness? So I'm going to define that a little bit. And in doing this, Jude goes on to say, they deny the only Lord God and our Lord, Yahashua, Messiah. You see, many who wear that Christian label bring reproach upon the name of Christ. And how do they do that? By their conduct. By the way they live their lives. They're not living their lives following the way of Christ. They're living their lives according to their own dictates. How they seem things to be right. They choose. And they either don't know what the faith is that was once given to the saints, or they do not care. And I've met both. I have met both. Some don't care that they're living contrary to the faith. They have a deluded idea, believing that somehow they are living according to the way that they can live any way they like, and they think that somehow they've got something at the end of the walk of this life that they actually do not have, and they don't care. Others, they choose deliberately to do what it is that they choose to do, and they don't want to live according to the way of Christ. And they follow after a doctrine that was brought onto this earth by demonic people, people who are filled with demons. Jude warned about them. They've turned the word Christian into something that's hated or shunned or ignored because of their conduct. They've turned the grace of God into willful sinning. Willful sinning. And I have, I've heard at least one preacher in this valley many years ago who said, go out and sin it up. Then jump in your daddy's lap and tell him you're sorry and he'll forgive you. Now that's blasphemy. Willful sinning. We go on willful sinning. What's it say, Eric? There remains no more sacrifice. Right? We may not continue to sin willfully. Does that mean that we don't misstep? Does that mean that we don't miss the mark? Does that mean that we don't mess up from time to time? I can't say that because I haven't reached that place of sinless perfection. I won't lie and say that I have. I've known people that have done that too. But they turn the grace of God into willful sinning. And and especially when you think of that word lasciviousness, you're talking about sexual sin. I was born this way. Okay, well then you weren't born again, right? When you're born again, you're born anew, you're transformed, you used to be, and now you're not. That's what the Scripture says. I'm not going to quote all those passages. But that phrase, the faith, because there are those who don't understand what it means, it occurs 43 times in the New Testament Scriptures. You can look it up for yourself. Get yourself an electronic Bible. You can do a search, the faith. It'll tell you there's 43 occasions of it and 42 passages of Scripture. So nobody has any excuse for not knowing what the faith is. And if we read the Bible itself, even if you just read the New Testament, that small part, you'll learn what the faith is. We don't have any excuse for not knowing what it is that we are to contend for. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, it is written, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. Now, these are priests. Priests who already had religion. They already thought they had it together, okay? They already thought they had it figured out. But they didn't. And they came to the faith in Christ. In Acts chapter 14, it tells of Paul being stoned, left for dead and coming back to continue preaching. That's Acts 14, 19 to 21. Paul was stoned for the faith, tossed out of town as dead. And then when we read in 22... He came back preaching, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must 
through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Tribulation. Then? Trouble? Difficulties? That's what he says. Paul, the preacher of grace, said you're going to go through some trouble to get into heaven. It's not going to be easy. That's what he says. In Acts 16 and verse 5, we learn that the churches are being established in the faith and increasing in number daily at that time. Churches were being established in the faith and they were increasing in number daily. It's a powerful time. The Holy Spirit was in control. The churches were growing. Souls were coming out of the darkness and into the light. They were being transformed. They were being renewed. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 3, hear what's written. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? Does that mean the faith of God? Wait a minute, it says the faith of God. So whose faith is it? It's God's faith. That's right. God owns it. It's the faith of Christ. It's the faith of God. Watch, stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. It's written in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. Be a contender. Stand fast in the faith. Don't give up. Don't fall down. When things get tough, you stand. When all else fails, you stand fast in the faith. Earthly lives are nothing in comparison to eternity. No matter how the world goes, we are to stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. That doesn't mean you're not afraid when things get ugly. You know, bravery isn't the lack of fear. Bravery is action, even in fear. Examine yourselves, it's written in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, whether you be in the faith, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith, because you might not be. He's writing to believers. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's saying you better check yourself. To make sure you are, in fact, in the faith. And as we read on there, he says, prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? He's saying, you might not have him in you. You might be a reprobate. That's what he's saying to believers. Check yourself. Are you really in the faith? That's not a recruitment message, is it? We go out and try to bring people into the faith. We say, well, you know, once you come in, you've got to check yourself. And make sure you're still in. Wait a minute. Jesus paid it all. I can go on living any way I choose. That's what they say. But the Word tells us to check ourselves. Make sure we're in the faith. Unless we're reprobates. In which case, we may not want to check ourselves. In Galatians chapter 2, it's written, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Are you in Christ? Because that's where your justification comes. It does not come from your work. It comes from Christ. The Word is clear. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. It's absolutely clear. We have work to do. Contend for the faith. We have work to do, but that doesn't justify us. That doesn't bring us salvation. It comes out of our salvation. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27 is where we read, Only let your conversation, which means your behavior or your conduct, let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you... now. He's writing and saying, look, keep yourself straight. Whether I'm there or not, keep yourself straight. He's talking like a parent to a child. Look, don't throw a wild party because I'm away. And, you know, you, you see the words of Christ himself. He said, the kingdom of God is like a, a, a husbandman. He went away, comes back, finds everybody's 
doing things wrong. My paraphrase, sorry about that. He says, whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What does striving put you in mind of? Working, doing something, right? You're actively engaged in defending, contending for the faith. You stand for the faith. Even if it means somebody's going to get upset with you. Oh, we don't like to hear that, Pastor. I don't want anybody to get upset with me. You know, when I was growing up, and I'm pretty old. Not as old as some folks, but not as young as others. But when I was growing up, we didn't take offense at things like people do now. I, don't, I can't comprehend how that works. I don't get it. I honestly don't get it, folks, okay? I say things sometimes I don't even know that I'm saying something that offends somebody. They get offended, they go away, and I don't see them anymore, bump into them at the store and say, hey, how you been? Where you been? Oh, doing good, Pastor. Put the hand up. You know, it's like, okay, get away from me. What did I do? I said something that offended someone. But when we're contending for the faith, we're not going to stop doing whatever it is that God gives us to do. And part of that means sharing that good news. Part of it means giving it to other people. That's part of the contending for the faith. We're going to stand up. We're going to do what it is that needs to be done. We are going to help people find Christ. That's part of our role. It's part of our, dare I say the word, job. As believers, it's part of the work that we have to do. It doesn't bring us salvation, but it does bring others salvation. We're not justified by works of the law. Stand fast in one spirit. Strive together for the faith of the gospel. And in Colossians chapter 2, it's written, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith. Established. You think about, the word, I think of the word established, I think of businesses. They'll say established, 1892 or something, you know. Established, 1969 or whatever. Established, founded, built upon the faith and in the faith. Established in the faith. As you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. The faith. Contend for the faith. If, in fact, you follow what Jude instructs, then you are a contender. The Spirit expressly says it in the latter times. It's written in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Some will depart from the faith. Now, if somebody departs, let's say I'm sitting on this table, okay, or this bench, and I depart from that bench. Like for a moment ago, I departed from the pulpit. If I depart, what does that mean? I've left. Okay? Easy word, left. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will leave the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, and doctrines of demons. This is why I call some of these denominations demonic nations, because they bring forth demonic doctrines. And I don't want to pick on my brothers and sisters. Some of them are under deception, and they don't know it. But the doctrines of demons are ruling. And especially whenever you hear, I was born this way. I was born again. Not the way I used to be. Sometimes I like to be. My flesh rises up and says, you know, I could be a contender. No. Get back. I don't want to be that. Giving heed to deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. In other words, their conscience can't even tell that they're wrong anymore. They've gone so far off, they can't even tell that they're off the rails. 
They can't tell that they're not on the narrow path. They cannot tell that they are going contrary to Christ because their conscience has been seared as if with a hot iron. Revelation 14.12 describes the patience of the saints as keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. See, that's the key, folks. That's the, the bottom line to contending for the faith. You keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I'm not talking about the Levitical law, the priesthood law. I'm talking about the commandments of God. We have a remembrance of those things right here. A friend named John sent us these. They're written in Hebrew and in English. Anybody who can read Hebrew? The tablets of God's commandments. He says, this is the patience of the saints, those who, what? Keep that. We're not under it. We're under our love for God and each other. That's what that all sums up to be. We're to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Earnestly. Enthusiastically. Believe it or not, this text has been the center of much controversy throughout the ages. Some say it means exactly what it says, and others say, no, no, it can't, it can't. It can't mean that, because after all, if it means that, then it blows our doctrine of nothing else to do. We can sit on our hands and wait for Jesus to come back. We don't even have to tell people, because after all, if we tell people about our faith, then that's a work, and that work then means that if we say we have to do that, then that's a work towards salvation. They completely misunderstand what the doctrine says. I believe the writer intended to say exactly what we read. Earnestly contend, defend, preserve the faith. And there are many other passages of Scripture which I'm not going to bring in, but there are many other passages of Scripture that give us that same indication. Either it's implied or directly stated that we have something to do to protect the faith. I believe that uh, Jude gives several examples. In fact, he does. He gives several examples of faithlessness. And that's what leads me to completely understand that what he said is what he meant. Look at Jude 1.5. The Lord saved the people out of the land of Egypt, and afterwards He destroyed them that believed not. They didn't believe. Faithless were destroyed. And in Jude 1.6, he references the angels which rebelled, and he's reserved them in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Another example of faithlessness. And in verse 7, God made an example of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. Now, hear the last part of verse 7. Let's see, he, he did what? He reserved them with his vengeance, excuse me, made an example of them with his vengeance of eternal fire. Wait a minute, I just thought this stuff fell down out of the sky and burned them up. That stuff that fell out of the sky that came down from God and burned up those cities and the cities around them, it destroyed them. But notice what he says, eternal fire. The vengeance of God came from the fact that they were put into eternal fire. Yes, they got burned up on the earth, but they went right into the eternal fire. And there are those who claim today there's no fire. There's no hell. There's no destruction. You just, you're annihilated and it's over. No, no. God's Word is clear, folks. And I don't, I don't like to do that hard stuff in a message to let people know that God makes it clear there is an everlasting fire. But I have to sometimes because I can't skip over the text. I can't do it. That would be dishonest. It would be dishonest for me not to tell you that God's Word tells us this is the case. Those cities went from burning up here to burning in eternity. The physical fire that Almighty God sent upon them carried them into everlasting fire. 
In Jude 1.11, Jude pronounces woe to those who abandon faithfulness to Almighty God. And so whenever I hear woe unto, I say, why? My mind automatically goes to why? Why is there woe to those who abandon their faithfulness? Why? Well, they've gone the way of Cain. That's what Jude says. They went the way of Cain. And what did Cain do? He was a murderer. He was faithless to God. When he brought his sacrifice and God was more pleased with his brothers, God says, well, if you do good, won't it, won't it work out for you? Sorry about that. Forgot to, tell, forgot to turn it off. Got to call you back. Okay? All right. They didn't know. It's all right. Praise the Lord. <laughs> See, now, some pastors will say, remember to turn your phone off. And if I had done that and didn't turn mine off, y'all would have been, hey, wait a minute, pastor. Isn't that hypocrisy? Eh, it would have been. Anyway, we'll get back to the message. Yeah. Yeah. So, as we go on, we see that Cain and the, the faithless are also compared to those who ran greedily after the error of Balaam. Balaam. Balaam was way off base. And Jude references Balaam. And each of these examples shows us unfaithfulness to our Creator. That's the point. You're contending for the faith. You're defending the faith. You're preserving the faith. Not just in you, but the example that you show to the world draws other souls out of darkness and into light because they want what you have. There are those who are called. They're foreordained by God, and they will come into the light whenever you expose them to it. In 2 Peter chapter 2, we read of the faithless people who have eyes full of adultery, and they cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. In heart, they have exercised with covetous practices. They're cursed children, which have forsaken the right way. So if they forsook the right way, let's see, what's the opposite of that? They forsook it or they embraced it. It's one or the other, right? They've forsaken the right way and gone astray. So if they went astray, that means at one point maybe they weren't astray. You've got to get this, folks, because you're going to have people out there, and I've talked to some of you about this before. You're going to have people out there that are going to tell you, oh, no, you have nothing to do. Just do whatever you like. Jesus paid it all. They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Bozor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. What is unrighteousness? Short word? Yes, yeah, sin. Sin is unrighteousness. Who gets to define unrighteousness? Who gets to set the parameters of unrighteousness? Only God. That's right. God's the only one. Our Creator reserves that right for Himself. He's the only one that gets to say, this is righteous, this is not. And everything that is in that gray area, as they call it now, is either on one side or the other. And God knows where the line is, and He sets it in His Word. And His Word gives that defining moment whenever you step over the line and you go the wrong way, and His Spirit speaks to you and says, Hey, you're going over the line there. Come on back. And we read in Peter's epistle, those who are unfaithful to Almighty God are said to love the wages of unrighteousness. Who remembers what the wages of unrighteousness are? That's what His Word says. According to God, the wages of sin is death. There's no other option. That's why Jude implores believers to earnestly contend for the faith. And, and one more point. Jude tells us we're to contend for the faith, obviously, and then he tells us why. Because there are certain men who crept in unaware, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, denying our, the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ, 
lasciviousness. It's an old word. It means looseness. Irregular indulgence of animal desires. Wantonness. Lustfulness. And in lustfulness you can find covetousness. If you do a word search on all those words, you find that there is a whole plethora of sin that's embodied in lasciviousness. And there are godless people who have sneaked in among believers. They say God treats us better than we deserve. So we can do whatever we want. After all, some of my brothers and sisters go to the confession box and they sit in there and they say, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And here's what I did in the last week. I'm going to go out and do it again. And next week you can give me some prayers to say and that'll take care of it all. And then I've got my Protestant brothers and sisters who say, hey, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to tell anybody. I can just go do whatever I want. Both of them have got it wrong. They're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. A license to sin. We have brothers and sisters who sign a little card when they come to Christ. They bow their head and they raise their hand. They say a little prayer and somebody gives them a card. They write down the date and the time. That way you can always remember. Put that in your pocket. You carry that with you. Because if anybody ever challenges you on your faith, you can tell them you're born again. Because after all, you've got this card in your pocket that says that you bowed your head and you raised your hand. You said a little prayer. And on that day and at that time, you were saved. That's not what the Word of God shows. They've turned the grace of God into a license to sin. Oh, they don't call it that. I have a license to sin. Well, Paul makes it clear we don't. Shall we go on sinning because we're under grace? Paul says, no, heaven forbid. I've personally observed this in various demonic nations that are currently in existence on this earth. And more and more of them, it seems every day, are getting closer and closer to being one world religion because they all believe in the same thing. In fact, some of the higher up of some of these religions are saying, hey, anything goes. You're born that way, stay that way. They choose sinfulness. And they deny that we must obey Christ as our Master and Lord. Some even deny lordship at all, that lordship thing. They'll go for the salvation thing, but they don't buy the, the lordship thing. They don't buy Christ. They won't have Christ as their master. The Scriptures warn that these godless people are doomed. I pray that none within the sound of my voice are in those camps. That believe somehow you can just go on sinning and still have what you don't have. Because that is the great deception. I think that's the deception that the Lord tells us He's going to send upon the earth because of the ungodliness of the people. He warns He's going to do it. And I think it's Jude's point. The godless are doomed, and so He's telling the believers, contend for the faith. Be a contender. It doesn't matter how many Passages of Scripture are weaved together to, disport, to, to support the deception. Those who live immoral lives will be recompensed for their lives. The Word makes it clear. It's absolutely clear. And that's a whole series of sermons on its own. But you've got to understand, folks, when Jude is imploring the believers to contend for the faith, he's warning them, look what happened to these ones. Look what happened to these ones. Look what happened to these ones. I don't want that to happen to you. No, it's written that God hates the workers of iniquity. Psalm 5, 5. Think Tony pulled that up, right? There is certain, no, the foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. And, you know, there are those who are going to knock to get in, and our Lord's going to say, get out of here. I don't know you, you workers of iniquity. What's a worker? Who works at something? What's iniquity? It's whatever God says it is. I don't get to define it. I don't get to say, well, you know, I was born an adulterer, so, you know, I, I'm allowed to commit adultery. 
I was born this way so I can continue to live this way. That's not what the Word says at all. It makes it clear. That's a lie. It's a lie right out of hell. You can't change the plain meaning of that passage. When it was written, David, the king, was writing to the Lord Himself. You hate all workers of iniquity. And then our Lord, when He was on the earth, He warned the believers. Look at Matthew chapter 7 and you'll find it there. He says, they're going to come knocking on the door and I'm going to send them away. I don't know them. In Hebrews chapter 10, it is written, If we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. In 2 Peter chapter 2, it's written, For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world... How do you escape the pollutions of the world? Can anybody tell me? Just shout it out. Hmm. Come to Christ. Right. Trust God. You escape the pollutions of the world after, if, if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, if after coming to Christ, if after putting your faith in God through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they're again entangled in those same pollutions and they're overcome by those pollutions, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For, <coughs> for it had been better for them to have known, excuse me, not to have known, not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Our Lord talks about the demons. The house gets swept Demons are gone. And then they come back. They bring buddies with them. He warned about that. Your end will be worse. It'll be worse for you if you know the truth and you turn from it. Willfully. If a man abide not in me, our Lord said, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. You know, one of the topics that our Lord spoke about more than any other was the fire, the hell fire, the eternal fire. And this is why I believe Jude, the brother of our Lord, was so intent on getting believers to contend for the faith. I'm going to wrap this up. I want to read again what Jude said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 3, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Hear what's written in Luke chapter 18, shall not God avenge His own elect which cry day and night unto Him? Are you praying to God? No matter what your position is as far as uh, political situations in this country, are you praying to God? Will not God avenge His own elect, which cry day and night unto Him, though He bear long with them? I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall He find faith on the earth. Ooh. Why would He ask that question? If it's a once saved, always saved, you can do whatever you want, salvation, then why would he ask that question? He's asking it because there's a very real danger. There's a danger, folks. Contend for the faith. If you're his, you're a contender. Thus said our Lord. The one we claim to follow. See, and there's a lot of people that claim to follow Christ, but then they want to ignore half of what He said. I can't ignore what He said. That's dishonest. I've got to look at everything He said. And I have studied everything He said. I have preached everything He said. There was a time when I did a whole series of messages just on, and the title of the series was, What Did Jesus Say? And it was a simple title for the, for the series. And one woman came to me one time, and she said, why are you always preaching about what Jesus said? 
He's the author and finisher of our faith. I figured we should know what he said. It was like a... It it, it made no sense to me. Why? We need to know what he said. He says, you keep my commandments in your mind. You don't and you're not. That's my paraphrase. Many different passages and things that he said. In Hebrews chapter 10, it's written, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Having gone through baptism, we're buried in the likeness of His death, we're raised in the likeness of His resurrection. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. What does it mean to profess? Confessing. It means living. Our profession is part of the way we live. We profess our faith in the way that we live. And when you see somebody, and I've heard too many people say, Oh, you're a Christian. I wouldn't want anything to do with that. Why not? Well, those Christians, and after those Christians comes all this blatant sinning stuff, hypocrisy, lies, and deception. And I say, wait a minute, I'm not one of them. No, no, I follow the master, the, the one who laid out the way, the narrow way. That's not part of the narrow way. And there are some differences in opinion of what that looks like, and I get that. And I can agree to disagree with some people because some things are not absolutely essential, except that he's the one that paved the way, and we're to follow that way. We really narrow it down. That's what it is. But you're going to draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Contend. Without wavering, without uh, what's that, wishy-washiness, without wavering. For He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke love, provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And, you know, I'll just take a little side note here. I'm not going to go much longer. There's a prominent pastor who said, we don't have to gather together, that the Scripture doesn't instruct us to gather together. This is a well-known guy. His dad was a a mega-pastor. This guy said, you don't have to gather together. Nowhere does God's Word tell us we have to gather together. But I'm reading right here, and I'll, I'll give it to you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do you see the day approaching? Then so much the more. Let's gather together. Let's get together. Let's uplift. Let's strengthen one another. Let's encourage one another. Let us be the body of Christ. He's the head. In Matthew chapter 24, After our Lord gave this long list of things that were going to happen, because they said, well, tell us, when's the end going to come? When's this going to happen? He says, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. Now, all through time, believers have been afflicted and killed. But in this country, we've escaped that. It's happening all over the world right now, but in this country, we've escaped it. I suspect that might not last forever. I suspect at some point in time, we will be afflicted. And you'll be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. There's that deception thing again. You know, our Lord warned more about deception in the last days than anything else. God's Word's very clear. There is coming deception, and that we've got to be on guard against it. We've got to contend for the faith. Many will betray one another, hate one another. Many false prophets will rise and deceive many, and because iniquities shall abound... The love of many shall wax cold. Love for what? Love for each other, love for God. The love of many will go cold because iniquity shall abound. What's iniquity? Sin. 
saying, because the workers of iniquity are going to grow in number, evil men will grow worse and worse, Scripture tells us. It says, the love of many will wax cold. But, here comes some good news, folks. I know this whole message hasn't been a whole lot of good news, but here's the good news. He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Who's going to be saved? Those who endure. Those who contend. Those who stand for, defend, preserve the faith. And those are the words of the one we claim to follow. He said that. So it doesn't matter which John of the alphabet uh, theologians who brought all kinds of different doctrines into the Christian faith over the last five or six hundred years. It doesn't matter which one of those guys say whatever they say. Our Lord said, those who endure unto the end shall be saved. And that lines up with uh, what his brother Jude said. Earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And remember the words of the brother James found in the fifth chapter. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, till he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draws nigh. These guys knew the truth. They knew the truth. You see, they were part of that group that had received the faith that we're to contend for. They knew what they were talking about. There was no mincing of words there. They said exactly what they meant. They urge every believer to stand for and defend the faith. So if you are, in fact, a believer, you are called to be a contender. Contend earnestly for the faith. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You, Lord, that You are in control and that somehow, Father, You know everything, the beginning from the end, the left from the right, the up from the down. You know in this room, Lord, if there's anybody who doesn't really believe or maybe they don't understand or maybe somehow they're not comprehending where we are. So I ask, Father God, that You would take the heart's Turn them toward Yourself, each one of us, that we would serve You to Your glory, I pray in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. All right. Well, I guess we'll, uh, we can have some help. We'll receive an offering. Did you knock that one off, Jim? Praise the Lord.